Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Vanessa Fernandez, jewelry designer and bench jeweler of Vanessa Fernandez Jewelry. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from New York City. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, the week after Tucson. I'm still got a little bit of a gemstone hangover, a good kind of hangover. I got back um, over the weekend and saw a lot of, you know, a lot of great stones, a lot of great jewelers. It wasn't, you know, I, I feel like now that I'm saying this, I have to tee up that we do have a, a wonderful designer that I happen to meet up with for the first time in person in Tucson. And we were chatting before we started recording. And one of my takeaways was that there wasn't like a huge find or a huge news about a new deposit or something so exciting that does occasionally happen in Tucson. It's rare. Most years, I think, are a little hit or miss with newness, but there were some, they weren't new stones, but people were newly excited about them. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her about what she saw. And so that is coming towards the end of this podcast, our Tucson wrap up. But it was a good show nonetheless. Fun the to mood see. good? The mood was? The mood was pretty good. I think, I don't think it was a sort of as big a show for people as maybe last year was or, or, or the year before. But a lot of people I talked to had good shows, good sales, good vibes, lots of, you know, Bulgari was there, Tiffany was there, all the major houses, of course, sent their buying teams. And if your eyes are sharp, you can spot really talented designers walking the aisles. Often they're a little more incognito. They've got their baseball hats, their sunglasses, and, you know, who knows how much value resides in their pockets and in their bags because they're shopping for stones and they're walking off with a lot of merchandise. So it's kind of fun to think about what happens to those stones once you see them, uh, you know, in the showcases, because they obviously end up in pieces of jewelry, sometimes many, many years later, depending on how people buy and shop, because often designers will just sit on their inventory for a long time until they are inspired. But it is amazing to think about those journeys those stones take, because they've already been on quite a journey just to get to Tucson, and then there's more to go. So yeah, I think the vibe was pretty good. I had a good time, saw a lot of people, and I, I think this is probably the best time to introduce her, but she's she has a great story about some of her favorite suppliers in Tucson that I know, that we know, and in fact, one of them was on this podcast. But let's introduce her now, because she's <laughs> in the virtual wings, as they say. So we are thrilled to welcome Vanessa Fernandez, a jeweler who's been a a studio, private jeweler who's been doing work and has her own line for almost, or I think a decade this year, but really feels like you're having a moment. You're on the ascent, even though you've been growing your business for a long time now. So Vanessa, welcome. Thank you. It's so (laughs) nice to have you. And I feel like your name has come up a few times, even just in conversation that I've had with people who are like, yeah, I saw Vanessa Fernandez in Tucson and she was doing this. And I'm like, whoa, I we're having her on the podcast. So it's always nice when, um, you know, there's like a moment where people are, are buzzing and you're, you're part of that. So you're based in and you're calling in from Miami. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And thank you so much for having me, um, Victoria and Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. You're so welcome. So I'll, I'll, my, I think I'll just briefly share when I first came across, I was checking through my inbox and I think back in 2022, I'd emailed you because I was putting together something on pearl jewelry and you had these beautiful curva hoops with these little pearls. I don't know if they were freshwater. I'm guessing. Akoya. Akoya. Okay. Even yeah. fancier. And um, that was when I think we first maybe exchanged emails or DMs 
was a couple of years ago. And then prior to Tucson, we were DMing because I was in Miami a couple of times and we were hoping to meet and it didn't work out, but I knew I'd see you in Tucson. First, we always start out with just, we want to get grounded. So tell us about your background. I, we know you grew up in Miami, but how, how did you get into interested in jewelry and, and actually into jewelry? Um, I won't be super cliche and say I've always loved it since I was little, but that's the truth. <laughs> Growing up, I remember my mom was always buying me those little girl jewelry beading kits. I definitely grew up playing with those, but I would say that one of my most memorable moments was just hanging out in my living room on the cold tile floor, just cutting out from these magazines, beautiful, you know, photographs of high-end jewelry. So I know it sounds crazy, but I was like that five-year-old that would sit there and cut out these beautiful printouts and tape them. Like I, I would tape Rolexes to my wrist. I would tape diamond necklaces to my chest and 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 walk around. And for me, this was like playtime dress up. I, I remember doing that so much. It was like a favorite thing of mine. Grab the magazines that would come to the house and and chop them all up and tape them to my body. <laughs> oh my God, I'm picturing like the Barbie, you know, the little cutout kits you'd get for clothing on dolls yeah. and stuff. But this was the real life and glam version. How fun. Yeah, a little, a little crazy. And, you know, I also was fortunate enough to grow up with a, my father's sister, my aunt, who is a very well-known and established sculptor in New York. She, I grew up with her. She would take care of me all the time. So I spent a lot of time in really large, hot sculpture studios, you know, with welding going on in one corner and charcoal drawing in another. And so I was, I was really surrounded by a lot of art growing up. So what was the first experience or I guess entree into actually being a maker? So after graduating from high school and I went straight in, straight into college, I thought I would go into medicine. I, I really thought like, you know, I'd make a great nurse. I love taking care of people and that, you know, surely that'll be the path for me. And part of that was, um, as you know, you always have to take an art, an art elect, uh, credit, right? So I saw jewelry making. I was like, perfect. This is, this is it for me. Like I'll have so much fun. I love jewelry. And man, it was like the world stood still. When I was in that jewelry studio, it was just like, I forgot to eat. I forgot to drink. You know, it's like the sun would set and I was still there. And they're like, you got to go, Vanessa. And I'm like, all right, this is it for me. It was just, it was real love. And I knew in that moment that it was the right path for me. And shortly after I ended up transferring out to another school in Richmond, Virginia, which at the time they were the number one public university for sculpture. And I thought this would be the best fit for me. And I applied with a portfolio that was really heavy in sculptural jewelry. I made some really massive pieces. Some of the pieces I welded together, not soldered, actually TIG welded. And they were very sculptural, very big. And the school accepted me. And I ended up moving into the craft and materials department. And that's where I specialized in jewelry and metalwork. So I have a bachelor's in fine arts in craft and material studies with a focus in jewelry and metals. And then you had a fortuitous meeting at Amy. If, uh, if I recall from our conversation in Tucson, tell us about that and where did it lead you? Yeah. So my first job out of school, I took the first job I could. I moved back to Miami and it was for a jewelry manufacturer that supplied jewelry to the Home Shopping Network. And you can imagine coming out of art school, it was, oh my God, it was so difficult to go and take that job, but I needed the job. And I was there for about a year and it was great. I learned a lot, a wealth of information from like how to communicate with factories in China to how to deal with managing clients inventory with Home Shopping Network. And it, it was great. But I got invited to a party in 
Miami Beach and John Hardy was uh, like partially hosting it. And I knew the head designer was going to be there and I knew I had to meet him. And there was someone there who was willing to introduce me. I went straight up to him and I'm like, hello, my name is Vanessa Fernandez. I want to work for you. <laughs> he was like, okay, young lady, <laughs> take a step back. This was, this was Guy Betterita, correct? Yeah, this was Guy Betterita, which by the way, is just one of the most kindest. He's just so kind, so loving. He's never greeted me without saying, ciao, Bella. <laughs> you know, he's just such yeah. a sweetheart. I actually ran into him at Tucson. It was wonderful. I hadn't seen him in years. And we gave each other the biggest hug. And he's like, you know, it was so happy to see me. I was so happy to see him. You know, I met him at this party and he's like, why don't you send me your portfolio? Which you can imagine was heavy sculptural. Like I had just come out of art school, you know, and uh, immediately invited me to to move to Bali and work with his design team. Was there a culture shock coming from a company that mass produced for for HSN to John Hardy, which uh, at the time did everything by hand? Yeah, major, major. It reminded me more of where I had come from. It felt more like home for me. I felt more comfortable there. It was such a beautiful environment to be in, you know, and everyone embraced me so much there. I was so supported. He, I can't tell you, he just, he brought me under his wing and I, I got to do a lot of other cool things too. Like they have um, like a farm to table system there. So they feed all their employees with the food they grow on the land. You know, I, I was invited to sit in on marketing meetings with people who would come to town. I got to help select stones. They were so kind to take five of the designs that I had created for them and produce them. It was just such a beautiful experience. I got to see like a real Balinese chain being made because, you know, everybody there lives on the island and everything's being done by hand. And so even the, the metalworking studio, you know, I, I got to meet the head of casting. I I found him to be, I mean, he was, he was, it was fascinating to see how they ran their production there. And then you had another, it does seem like you're kind of charmed in the way that you meet people who end up becoming, I don't know if mentor is the right word, but tell us about your next gig. Cause that's also yeah. pretty good here. So Guy, when I was leaving Bali, was like, where can I point you to? Like, where do you want to go next? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I think I need a minute. Cause I'm not sure right now. Like Eventually had the opportunity to meet Lorenz Bomber in New York. Lorenz um, goes to New York like once a year usually and has, you know, private showings. And and just to back up, he's a, a major jeweler based in Paris. Like who was he working with at the time? What was he doing his own line? At the time, Lorenz Bomber was the head designer for fine jewelry for Louis Vuitton. He also simultaneously was, you know, creating for his own brand. So Lorenz's studio was again, another studio divided in half. And one half of his studio, the designers were all designing for his brand. And the other half were all designing for Louis Vuitton. And I was on the Louis Vuitton side. And so I met him in New York. And again, just introduced myself, you know, told him I was just with your bestie in Bali. <laughs> and I, I would love to come and work for you, but I really would need it to be like a paid internship because, you know, Bali was an unpaid internship. And he's like, I mean, sounds good to me. Why don't you come over? And um, we agreed to a timeline and I came over and I was there for just under a year. And well, we can get into the different kind of design techniques. I mean, in Bali, everything was done in a traditional gouache. And in Paris, Lorenz's team taught me a new way of designing. And I know you wanted to talk about that, but that yeah. was done with vellum, or the, the, the paper that's transparent. And so what's really cool about that is that you can render on the front, but you can also render on the back. And so it allows your renderings to have so much depth. 
and you can render a lot faster. And so when I got to Paris and they taught me that, I was again, shocked. I'm like, uh, aren't we supposed to be doing this like <laughs> with paintbrushes and watercolor and I mean, wash paint? And they're like, no, 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 we don't have time for that. <laughs> we got to do it this way, Vanessa. And I was like, okay. And I mean, I picked up on it really quickly and it became the method I used for washing everything that they needed for, for LV. So that was my main responsibility at Lorenz's studio. It was washing for Louis Vuitton. Wow. And I guess, what did you learn and how, you know, once I guess your almost year was up, what were the big takeaways from that? I mean, I have to say I owe a lot to Lorenz for my appreciation of color. If you look at my work, it's, it's really heavy in the color department and Lorenz really influenced me. I was put to organize inventory quite frequently and just his work in general, there is no lack of color in his work. He really embraces all the colored stones and he really influenced me. I think that if it wasn't for his team teaching me how to render the way that they did, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today. I, I really, really use those techniques to their fullest. I present designs like that all the time. I mean, now recently I'm I'm slowly exploring Procreate, which we spoke about. But yeah, I mean, I learned so much in Paris. It's it's incredible. This podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. The De Beers Institute of Diamonds mission is to grow and strengthen consumer confidence by providing integrity across the natural diamond industry, offering unrivaled diamond grading and testing exclusively for natural untreated diamonds. The De Beers Institute of Diamonds provides diamond tears with confidence in a report of each diamond's four C's. Every diamond graded at De Beers Institute of Diamonds is also given a unique inscription number, allowing the diamond's details to be tracked and viewed on their website. Visit institute.debeers.com to learn more and register for their grading services. So it seems like you had a wide exposure to different levels of the industry, right? You had the HSN level, you have the Louis Vuitton level, and you have kind of in the middle, the John Hardy level. Was it was after the Louis Vuitton experience, was that when you decided to go out on your own? Yes. So shortly after I moved back to Miami and I decided I was going to start my own line. And so I did. I started my own line. Um, was, that, was that, were you nervous about that or? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very nervous. I had, I put together a trunk show actually. Once I created the line, I put together a trunk show. It was wildly successful. I mean, like all of Miami churned up and bought and it was wonderful and I was doing really well. And then, um, and then I got pregnant. So I I stopped for a little bit. I took a break. I had two children really close together. And um, that's when COVID happened <laughs> after the second baby. And so I want to say it was the summer-ish fall of 2020 when I decided to pick back up and work again. Okay. So 2020, you're picking back up. And is it primarily a private business or are you doing any wholesale at this point? No wholesale. I created a small line. I put it up on a website. I promoted it on Instagram. It did really well, especially that holiday season, that first holiday of 2020. And I also started picking up private clients, little here and there, nothing crazy. And it wasn't until the following summer, so summer of 2021, I want to say around May, that I was contacted by the State Department. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is a, a really interesting aspect of what you do. So how did they? Yeah, how did they? How, how, how did they get a hold of you? Yes, someone referred me. A good word was put up. Like you know, somebody somebody said something nice about me. From what I understand, and I can't get you know too specific, but from what I understand, they were looking to contract a jeweler who was more on the independent side, more of a minority. They really wanted to uplift uh, somebody who was um, not so well known, and so they contacted me. 
and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing a project. And it was for the very first project I did with them was the summer 21 summer Olympics. And I agreed. And that's where my career path changed forever. And I've been so fortunate at this point. I was trying to calculate, but I've done well over, I would say, between 150 and 200 pieces already for them. And this is, you said it's the office of, we were talking before, I think you said it was the office of protocol, which I guess works with the first lady. Yes, yes, exactly. So the the chief of protocol, they um they're responsible for many different things, but one of the things they're responsible for is gift giving. And so, for example, the first lady's team will say, "Hey guys, we're meeting with Japan next month. We need a custom brooch." The first lady would like options, or rather, they'll say the first lady would like options. Can you give us some ideas of what we could do? For... And this is this is like options for the other first lady. Correct. Or... Exactly. Exactly. And so they'll present options, and I, I've just been very fortunate in with that department and they've really supported me and the only reason why I don't blast it on my Instagram is because I respect their privacy and um, there's a lot of really incredible projects I've had the opportunity to work on and they continue to work with me so I'm, I'm going on year three now a consistent year three of working with them and I mean they they're really easy to work with I got to be honest they're really supportive of me and my craft they respect me a lot and we communicate very easily and they're very kind to invite me to the White House all the time. (laughs) What's it like over there? Yeah, it's it's an incredible experience, right? It's it's uh, I'm almost spoiled because every time they invite me, I, I go. I've, I have yet to turn down an invitation to the White House or to Blair House, which is the White House's guest house. So it's where all like foreign heads of state come and stay when they come to visit the president. And and any event that I partake in, anything I create a massive works for, they invite me to those events as well. Well, you know, one thing I want to point out is that, you know, a lot of designers will get an order for, let's say, 50 brooches, and they'll Mm -hmm. dispatch those to a design team somewhere or a manufacturing house, a bench team that works, you know, either in their own city or another city. That's not what you're doing. You are literally at the bench making these things yourself, correct? Yes, correct. Absolutely. So I think that's also why they're just, they're so, they're so good with me, honestly. I mean, I design and then the design is approved or they ask me to alter something. I provide an estimate of what something's going to cost. They approve that. And then I start making the master. So once I start making the master, I'm really transparent with them and I'll show it to them and they'll approve or say, Hey, can we make this a little smaller? Can we make this a little bigger? Once they decide and they're like, all right, go, that's when I really just like, I move into my studio, I shut the door, I'm here for like whatever amount of time it takes, nothing gets in my way or stops me from getting their order to them on time. And I do it alone. I do it completely alone. Yeah, I do. And without computers. <laughs> I mean, listen, on occasion, you have to do work in 3D, but I for them, I, I really enjoy making things by hand for them. So- In Tucson, when we sat next to each other, you briefly showed me a design tool you started using called Procreate. So tell us a little bit about that, but then I'm especially fascinated in how you take a design that's, you know, maybe a digital design, but it doesn't go to CAD. It goes directly into WAC. Like, tell us your process. Yeah, so it's exactly what I do. So Procreate is this amazing app. My sister actually introduced it to me this summer. We were traveling. Uh, We take a sister trip once a year. We were in France, and she's just spending all this time on her iPad. I'm like, well, Natalie, what are you doing? 
she's like, oh, I'm using this app Procreate. And, you know, I'm like looking at it and I'm like, okay, that's cool. She's like, try it. And she hands me the little Apple pencil and the iPad and I start to draw. And it was like, oh my God, my eyes got so big. I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. I mean, a week after I got back, I had, I had an, a little mini iPad and Apple pencil and I had downloaded the app and I was sketching away. And actually the very last project I did for the White House, I used the app to do the design. It, it was incredible. I love using that app. I took it with me to Tucson. You know, I was doing quick sketches here and there. It's wonderful. If you want to go fast, if you want to have access to every kind of paintbrush or pencil or marker and color, and it's, you can erase. <laughs> That's amazing. You can erase. So I used it a lot. It's a great tool for designing. And so once a design is approved by anybody, whether it's a private client or, or anybody, I'll sit down and I'll start sketching in wax. So I work with all kinds of wax and I work with other combustible materials too. I say combustible because anything that can burn out in my kiln will be castable. So I use a lot of experimental materials, but yeah, I'll sit down and just start carving the wax to the drawing I made. So it's just a matter of, I mean, this is how... This is how it always used to be done. This is not new. This is how jewelry was always made. So before 3D and printers were invented. And so it's, I guess it's just the communication between my brain and my hand. And I, I make the wax. Sometimes I have to make it 32 times, but I'll make the wax. Eventually it'll come out right. And once it does, I'll go to cast, which I also do here. Well, and this might be a good moment just to ask you how you would, because when I think about your aesthetic, I think about curves. I think about organic. I definitely think about color because you do some pieces that are part of a collection that you've mm -hmm. made that you wholesale and or will get ready to wholesale. So tell us about kind of what your collection is. I'd say my my aesthetic is is bold, but also feminine. And I definitely don't do anything too delicate. So the, the work is always going to be sculptural. You're going to see that my work always has movement to it. It's always going to appear fluid, but there's multiple parts moving, not physically moving, but they appear to be yeah, I would say it's it's definitely um, sculptural. It's sensual. I think even when I make a signet ring for a client, there's volume there. It's, it's voluptuous. It's not flat or perfectly shaped. It's organic. You can take one of my pieces and, and churn it. It's going to look different from almost every angle. Nothing is symmetrical um, unless it needs to be, but I typically don't do anything that's symmetrical. Everything is intertwining and twisting and wrapping and embracing. Um, yeah, I mean, curva in Spanish means to curve. And it's not that I'm referencing the curve or an arc, but like the curvature of the female form, which I find to be very beautiful beautiful and very inspiring. And I, I know it's kind of cliche, but one of my biggest um, inspirations is the works by Gustav Klimt. I think that he honored the female form and his obsession with it. It's just, he was so enamored with the female form. And I really, I started reading about his work and became obsessed and really fell in love with him and started doing extensive research, reading all the books about him, going to the museum, doing everything I could to really understand where he came from. And he always put woman front and center. And um, yeah, deeply inspired by love and human interaction. And um, I'd say that really inspires me. Well, speaking of human interaction, I had the pleasure of kind of walking around a little bit with you in Tucson and you introduced me to some of your dealers. And in fact, I think I was inspired to talk with you specifically at this time and have you on the podcast now because I knew you were friends with Dave Bindra from B&B &B Fine Gems, who we had on the podcast, I think about a year ago. Of course, he's a major dealer in Tucson. And I had seen the two of you, I'd seen you post on Instagram 
Instagram and you have a really great Instagram presence where you do a lot of kind of inside peaks of bench work and, you know, from Tucson, in fact. So I was kind of charmed to hear your story of how you met Dave. Can you tell us again? So I met Dave Bintra a few years back. I always followed him on Instagram. I always, I was fascinated by his appreciation of color. Really, I don't think I've ever met anyone that had such a keen eye for color. He's truly a creative, an artist, if you will, when it comes to sourcing the right colors. And he has such an appreciation for what he does. And I always followed him on Instagram. I had a client reach out to me and she said, I know you're going to Tucson. I want you to find me a pair of matched cushion sapphires. I want earrings and I only want them from Dave Bindra. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> By the way, she is my top client, my number one. I love this woman to pieces. She also happens to be one of my doctors. So I <laughs> I was like, hey, listen, whatever you want, lady. So I went, I went straight up to him and I was like, listen, I don't have a choice. I have to buy from you. So you're going to help me find this. He was like, oh my God. <laughs> Wow. How did she know him? She she just followed him on Instagram, you know? Oh, she's, okay. oh. Yeah, but she's not in the trade or anything. And she just had an appreciation for the stones he was always posting and all his stories. And she goes, I really like him. I really like what he shows. I really want to buy from him. And you know, I was taken aback because I was like, all right, like I have to go buy from this person now. Like I have no choice. If I want to make the sale, I have to go buy from Dave Pindra. Right. And so I met him like slightly terrified because I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, I have to buy from you. Do you have this? And, um, and yeah, we hit it off. And ever since then, um, he is, and probably will always be my top source for color. It's such a great story. Cause like he does have a wonderful Instagram account, Gemfluencer, with, you know, colors and sneakers in matching gem colors. <laughs> yeah. music. So I love that he's like people who aren't even in the trade somehow stumble on him. I don't know how that happened, but I suppose if you're a rabbit hole type of person and you love colored stones, I guess you can find him. But tell us, um, what did you, what did you like in Tucson? What were you buying and what colors and stones stood out this year? Yeah. So, um, it's pretty incredible. I sold more than I've ever sold to clients this year, which I thought this year was going to be slower than last year, but I more than doubled my sales since last year. I sold, let's see, six or seven matched pairs for earrings. Meaning you sold them kind of over the phone and then were charged with like finding them at Tucson? Or? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the entire time I'm there, I'm looking for stones that A, I want to work with, B, I think are good to sell to my clients. And I'm taking photos, taking information down. I'm on the phone constantly while I'm at AGTA. I am never off my phone. I am constantly looking for the right stone for the clients and they buy from me while I'm there, you know? And, you know, speaking of different suppliers, if I need diamonds, I always go to Randy Poli from Poli Trading. I mean, his diamonds are exceptional. And it's not just that I like him as a person or that I appreciate the material he's sourcing. It's that I also want to work with that. You know what I'm saying? So I'll go and I'll guide my clients to what I think is the best option. And so I'll present them with those options and they'll choose from those options and, and buy from me because they trust me and they want to work with me and I appreciate them. And I, and I always make sure to build a relationship with them. You know, it's, it's not a one-time transaction. We're going to continue talking. We're going to develop a piece that you're, you really like, that you love. I'm going to give you, you know, three, four, five ideas of what we can do with this gem that I think is right for you. And I really enjoy shopping for my clients. You know, I, I always go to Esmeralda when I want emeralds. I'm, I'm really faithful to my people. Here's a question we asked uh, Dave. I forgot what his answer was. I think maybe he didn't have an answer. But uh, what is your favorite gemstone? 
or do you have one? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> oh man. Um, how about I tell you, cause I love everything. It's really hard to answer. I would say my favorite gemstone that was is termite. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. My favorite gem would probably be spinel or tourmaline. But I will tell you that I did see this Tucson trip, a stone that made me cry, which has never happened to me before. Yeah, it brought me to tears. The box was opened and this supplier wanted to remain anonymous, I think, for security purposes. And also they did not want me to specify the carrot. They opened the box in front of me and I started to cry. I had never seen a more beautiful red spinel in all of my life. It was one of the most important stones I think I've ever seen. Flawless, Tanzanian, vivid red. It was bizarrely beautiful. I could barely contain myself. I started crying. <laughs> oh my God, this is insane. Could you buy it or was it, was it? Too... Yes, it's available for purchase, I think for the right number. <laughs> Got it. But you didn't, you didn't buy it. No, no I wish I wished, but wow. wow. That to me was, was probably the top, the top, top, top thing I've ever seen in my life to date. And you're working on, maybe this is probably a good place to wrap up, but you're working on a collection of more wholesale pieces, right? Can can our, our listeners, our audience who are retailers expect to sort of be able to buy something from you in, in the coming months and year? Yes, yes. I'd say in the next three and a half months, I will be presenting a collection available for order for purchase. It's not the very first time I do wholesale, but yeah, I'm opening myself up to the world a little bit more in the next coming months. And I'm really excited for it. I'm definitely nervous, but I think I'm ready. All right. Good luck. So exciting. Yeah. Well, if you love color and beautiful, handmade, organic statement pieces, Vanessa Fernandez, you, you are the woman <laughs> of the hour here, the woman of the moment. So thank you so much for coming on. What yeah, a treat to chat with you. Oh, it's a total honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Riley McCaskill. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.